Hey, it's Cody Woodard, pastor of Renovation Church in Gallatin, Tennessee. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Come on, if you believe that, we put your hands together. I want to read to you from John chapter 4. Jesus says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So God, we just ask that today, this wouldn't just be a lip service. God, we ask that today, this wouldn't just be some songs that we sing, some traditions that we have. God, that we wouldn't get caught up in preference, we wouldn't get caught up in style, but that our worship, that the meditation of our heart, that the the words on our lips would be pleasing to you. And so God, we just, we invite you into this place today. God, we would ask that you would move because we know that you are. We know that you want to. We know that you're going to. We know that you have. We know that you always will. Even when we don't know it, see it, understand it, God, you are faithful and you are worthy of all our praise. And if you don't do another thing, you've already done enough. And so God, today, would you, would you be lifted high? Would you be made much of? God, as we open up your word, I pray that it would speak to our hearts. That's that we can worship you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Hey, if you love Jesus, make a little noise. Say hi to somebody before you sit down. Hey, well, who's excited to be here for week four of Salty Jesus? Anybody excited? Come on, hey, I wanna talk today about this idea of, of worship because I believe that, that what God is seeking is someone who is a true worshiper. That what God wants for you, what I want for you, what I want for our church is that we would be worshipers, that this would be a house of worship, that this would be a house where people are actually worshiping God. And, and the truth is, is that this will never be a house of worship if the people in it aren't worshiping outside of it. That this will never be a place. So, so we can come in and we can sing songs. You may even lift your hands. But the truth is, is that what may have just happened for some of us may have not actually been worship to God. And so I want to talk about this today because I think there's been some misconceptions. There's been some confusion about what worship is and what worship's not. Why we worship. What's the point? What's the purpose? I, I want to I talk about this because I think that if there's, if there's any area in which we can all grow collectively, it's how we worship. It's how we express our devotion to God. And so today I want to have this conversation. And, and I think it's important to understand that, that every single one of us are worshipers. We all worship something. We were all created to worship. And so the truth is, is we all may be worshipers, but that doesn't mean we're all worshiping the right thing. And so what I want to talk about is, is I want to talk about what does it actually mean to worship and what does it not mean to worship? 
Because whether you know this or not, it is more than just singing songs. And so what is worship? What is worship? I think it's important for us in order to understand what worship is, we get clear about what worship isn't. And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at a passage that, that many of you may be familiar with where Jesus is teaching and, and I want to turn there. And so if you, have your, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you haven't noticed, our entire series has just been out of a personal study I've been doing through the book of Matthew, but it's in Matthew chapter 15. And, and I want us to pay attention to what worship isn't so that we can get an understanding of what worship is. And so if you're ready for the word, somebody say, yeah. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Somebody say, Salty Jesus. Verse 7, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So today I want to talk about what makes Jesus salty is hollow worship. Is hollow worship. He says that they acknowledge me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so what I want to do is I want to break down this passage in Matthew chapter 15 for a second, and then we're going to take a look at one of the most beautiful expressions of worship that you see in the scriptures. But I want to break this down. I want, to, I want you to understand kind of what's going on here because they ask this question. They say, why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? And, and so it's important for you to understand kind of the context because the, the Jewish people, the Pharisees, they had an obsession with cleanliness, with a spiritual cleanliness, with a, with, a, with a soul level cleanliness, not like the physical cleanliness, not like coronavirus, wear your mask, get a little Germex, take a shower three times a day. Not that kind of cleanliness. You know what I like to do um, with, with, with all of the allergies and stuff happening right now? I like to take a little Germex. I like to put a little under my nose, you know what I'm saying? And keep it, I just feel like it's an extra layer of protection. Uh, but not like, they're not obsessed with physical cleanliness. They're, they're, they're obsessed with this idea of, of a spiritual cleanliness. And so they would have all of these different things that they had to do in order to be considered worthy, to be considered able to go into the temple to worship. And, and so what you need to understand is in Jewish culture, they had two categories for everything. Everything was either clean or unclean. So everything, no matter what it was, fit into one of these two categories. It was either clean or it was unclean. And, and so there were different types of animals that would be considered clean and unclean. There were different ways that you prepared the animal that would make it clean or unclean. If you had, um, if you had any type of like bodily discharge, you, were be, you would be considered unclean. If, if you had some sort of skin disease, you would be considered unclean. If you ever touched a pig, you would be considered unclean. If you ever touched a dead body, I don't know why, but you would be considered unclean. Unclean, And so they had all these categories for everything that was clean and unclean. And if you were unclean, what they were saying was you were not fit to worship God. And so then what do you do if you find yourself unclean? For instance, let's say um, you're drinking some water and a fly lands on your cup. Well, a fly is unclean. And so when the fly touches your cup, some of you are like, this still applies today. But when a fly touches your cup, it makes the cup unclean. 
And then if you touch the cup, then you're unclean. And then if your spouse touches you, they're unclean. And so up until this point, everything is unclean. And so you had to go through this ritual in order to be cleansed, to be fit for worship. Now, what's the ritual? How do you get clean if you've touched something or done something you're not supposed to do? How, how do you get clean if you're unclean? Well, what they would do is they would have them take a quarter of a log. Now, if you don't know what a log is, it's, it's, it's equivalent to an eggshell and a half is what the equivalent. And they would take this water and they would have to wash their hands before they ate. Now, what they had to do was they had to wash their hands like this. And the reason why was because the water was clean, but you weren't. And so when they would pour the water on your hands, it was important that the water immediately touched the ground because the moment it hit your hands, now the water was unclean. And so they would, they would stick their hands like this and somebody would pour water over their hands and they would wash them. But if the water touched their arm or any other part of their body, then they would be unclean. You tracking with me? And so it was very important that they did this. They, they wouldn't just do this before meals. This is where that tradition came, by the way, where we wash our hands before we eat. They wouldn't just do this before meals. They would actually do this between courses as well. So for example, um, when they were preparing to eat their grilled chicken nuggets, they would wash their hands before. They would have somebody else wash their hands for them. Then before they would eat their waffle fries in Polynesian, come on somebody, they would they would have somebody wash their hands again. And then before they would drink their lemonade or Arnold Palmer as I like, th then they would wash their hands. And so they would do this ritual in order to be fit for worship. And so they asked Jesus this question. They're Jewish. Why is it then do your boys not wash their hands before they eat? And, and I love what Jesus says. I love how he answers a question with a question. I love doing this too. Uh, he says this. He says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? What is he saying? He said, you're so worried about the ritual. You're so worried about what they're doing on the outside. But the truth is, what about you? You don't love people the way they do. You're so concerned with the tradition and being fit for worship that you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, like loving people. You've neglected what's really important, what's really at the heart of worship. And so then he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right. You, you honor me with your lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is in vain. Their teaching, it's merely human rules. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, this is the type of worship that is not pleasing to me. The type of worship where you simply just say the right things, look the right way, do all the right stuff on the outside, but there's something you're lacking, something you're missing on the inside. And, and so he's like, Isaiah was right. You've become so consumed, so obsessed with this process, these rules, this tradition that you've created that you've missed the point of the whole thing. It's not about you washing your hands. It's not about you being cleansed in your own way. And, and I really do believe that we have a lot of potential to grow in this area. Because I think a lot of times what we do when we talk about worship, automatically, we, we automatically put it into like a, a style, right? Like a, a genre or a style of worship or, or an environment. So for instance, um, we, we think about, when you think about worship, you think about a style of worship, maybe like what you saw here. How many of you grew up, by the way, if you, if you, if you dare to raise your hand, it, with a different style of worship? Lift your hand. Different style of worship, right. And so for some of us, when you hear worship, you think about style, which then kind of leads to preference and kind of what, what you prefer, the type of worship you want 
to listen to or that you want to sing. For others of you, you think about environment, right? Like for me, I kind of grew up in two different types of churches. I grew up with my mom. I grew up in a church of Christ. And it was very different than this church, by the way, if you didn't know. And, and so for us, the environment, when I thought about going to worship, what I would think about was standing up and sitting down about a hundred different times. I would think about pews. I, I would think about the, the book we would open. It's called a hymnal, if you didn't know one of those things. They didn't have words on the screen. They read it from, from an actual hymnal and they would always sing verses one, two, and four. I don't know what their problem was with three, but they didn't like it. Right, like, but they, they, it was this very like traditional style. It was the environment. It was very reverent. It was very holy. You didn't laugh. You didn't express yourself. You, you were there and you kind of stood in awe. And that was the kind of environment. For others of you, like me on the, on the other weekend, my dad's here. I would go with him to church and it was like, it was a church of God. It was a, it was a little Pentecostal. You know what I'm saying? And they didn't bring out snakes or nothing like that, but it was different. Cause when you walked into there, they didn't have pews. They had chairs. Um, they didn't just have people singing acapella on the stage. They had a band. Uh, they had a screen with words on it. Sometimes there'd be even somebody over there with a, with a ribbon dancing around. For other, there, was, there, was this, there was a couple ladies, there was some women, one in particular, Miss Sarah, in the middle of worship. She'd pull out her tambourine and just go to town. Right, But you have these different styles and environments of worship, and, and we begin to think that that's what worship is. And so please understand what I'm saying. Worship isn't a song. Now, a song can be worship, but worship itself, it's not, it's not a song. It's, it's so much more than that. And, and, and so the problem is for many of us is we've never been taught how to worship and we really don't understand why we worship. It's become something that we just do. It just becomes something that when you come to church, you just, you stand up and you may lift your hands, you may sing the songs, you may clap a little bit, but, but worship has kind of been confined to this experience that happens on a Sunday morning when really, when you take a look at what worship really is and why we worship, it's so much more than that. And so my, my fear is, is that every single week you can come in here and we can have a team on stage and we can have very powerful moments and we can sing worship songs, but not actually worship God. And so part of my question is this morning, like, did you, did you actually worship him? Or did maybe you just kind of go through the motions? And so worship, worship's not just a song. It's not just a tradition. That's what broke his heart was that they got so caught up in the tradition of what they were doing, they missed the point. And I think if we're honest, I think sometimes we can too, right? We can kind of be like, ah, I just, I'm not feeling this song. That's not my jam. I don't prefer it. Whether you prefer it or not, whether it's your style or not, whether it's what you, what you would want to see happen or not, he's still worthy of your praise, even if you don't like the song. So we can sing a song, I feel like dancing, and then we can end with how great thou art because it's not about the style, it's about God. And so what is worship? Write this down. It's the best definition I can come up with. Worship is our love expressed to God as a response to his love expressed to us. True worship Biblical worship, godly worship, is our love expressed to God as a response to his love expressed 
to us. So let's just break this definition down. Worship is our love. It starts with love. Write that down. Worship, it starts with love. Now, here's the thing about this. It doesn't start with your love. It starts with his love. Worship doesn't start with your love for God. Worship starts with his love for you. And so we say it's, it starts with love. In, in, in Matthew, Jesus talks about later on, he says that the greatest commandment is this, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But it doesn't start with you. It starts with him. John three sixteen, the most popular verse in, in America. For God so loved the world that he gave. Did you get it? God so loved the world he gave. He went first. So our worship is a response to the fact that we're loved by God. So he gave, he gave everything for us. And so our only reasonable response is to love him. So the first thing you need to know about love is that love is given. Love is, is given. I don't know if you know this or not, but Worship is actually the only gift we can give God. It's the only gift we can give God. Everything else is for our benefit. Everything else is from God to us. But worship, your praise, is the only thing you can give to him. He doesn't need anything else. He, he asks us for one thing and one thing alone, and that is your worship. That is your heart. That is your, your love. And so love is, it's given to you and to me. And so worship is how we love. You, you can't worship something you don't love. You can't worship something that you actually don't love. And, and, and so the, the sad thing about this is that there are so many Christians who claim to love God, but never actually worship him. That sing the songs that come to church. And that's a good thing. But that doesn't mean that you're actually you're worshiping him. So the only thing we can really give to God is our, is our worship. It's our only reasonable response. I was thinking about this as I'm a dad myself. Um, what can a child give a father? I mean, let's be honest. When I think about Jet and I think about Tatum, what can they actually give me? Because the truth is, is everything they have, I gave. So what can they give? The only thing they can give me is their gratitude. And that's what, that's what worship is. It's us being grateful for who God is and what he's done. And so the only thing they can really give me is gratitude. And the way I know that they love me and they express it to me is when they're outside of my presence, they reflect who I am. That's what your worship is. It's not just Sundays. It's when you're outside of the house, when you're outside of Sunday, are you worshiping him Monday through Saturday? So, so it's, it's, it's our love expressed to God. Listen, it's not worship if it's not expressed. That's the second thing, that love is expressed. So, so it, it, it can't be worship if we don't love God and it's not love unless it's expressed. Therefore, it... It's not worship if it's not expressed. Now, before you think I'm talking about lifting your hands and all that, that may be part of it. But, but let me give you another example. Um, how many married people in the room? Lift your hand. How many single people? Lift your hand. Look around. Get numbers after. All right. Um, 
But for all my married people, really any relationship, not just if you're married, but any relationship, let's just say this. So, so love is not only given, love is expressed. And so imagine this, imagine if on your wedding day, um, your spouse, your soon to be spouse in that moment says, I'm going to love you forever. And then make a vow and and they make a commitment between you and them and between them and God saying, I'm going to love you forever. But for 10 years, they never expressed it. Now, is that a healthy marriage or an unhealthy marriage? Unhealthy marriage. Why? Because love has to be expressed or it's not love. Right? Like, can you, can you just imagine? I just can imagine, like, if I told Jess, I'm like, hey, babe, look, I know we've been married seven years, going on eight years, but here's the deal. Um, I love you, but, like, you just let me know if anything's going, going wrong, and then we'll talk about it. But until then, I'm just going to hang out with you once a week, and we're good. I wonder how God feels when in a moment we declare that we love him with our life, but we never live like it. We don't express it. I said the prayer one time when I was little and I lived my life however I wanted to live it. But when something was wrong, it was God, hey, I need your help. Love has to be expressed. How is love expressed in relationships? Through communication, through time, through serving one another. If I really wanna make my wife feel loved, I'll clean the whole house, including the bathrooms. Right, like if I really wanna make her feel loved, I'll, I'll, I'll go out of my way, not just on a birthday or Christmas, but I'll offer a gift of sacrifice. I'll offer a gift to her to, to show how much I love her. And, and so there's more than just one way to express our worship to God other than just in song. That's one of the ways. It, it can look like lifting your hands. It, it can look like getting on your knees. Sometimes worship can be jumping up and down. Sometimes worship can look like this. Sometimes worship can look like you're crying. Sometimes worship can look like you're you're giving. Sometimes worship looks like serving. Sometimes worship looks like loving your spouse. Sometimes worship looks like loving your kids. Sometimes worship looks like being grateful for what God has given you. Are you understanding? Are you tracking with me? This is what worship is. It's, It's love, but it has to be It has to be expressed. And here's the third, love grows. So God isn't trying to get you to worship him in order for him to love you. The love God wants for you, he's already gave you. Did you catch that? The love God wants from you, he's already gave you. Your love, your your worship is a response to his love for you. And so all he wants back is the very love he gave you. He, He wants you to live a life of gratitude saying, I'm grateful for the love you've shown me. Now I'm gonna express my love to you. Now, for some of us, Shalai, look, let's talk, about, let's talk about in here. I think it's a way that we can grow collectively as a church of how we express ourselves to God. And now for some of you, you'll be like, listen, I'm not the type of guy who lifts his hands and jumps around and runs in circles. That's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm more reserved. I'm, I'm shy. And that's fine. If... I take you to a national championship game and the Tennessee Vols are playing in it and Garantano throws a touchdown at the last second and we win the ball game. As long as you stand here like this, I'm good. Come on. Because if you're shy, you're shy. But I think sometimes what we've done is we've been shy about the wrong things. 
And, and, and so for some of us, we go, oh, we're more reserved. And that's fine. And listen, I, I didn't used to be the guy who would always lift his hands in worship. I didn't be the guy who would do hand motions from the song. That wasn't me. For a long time, I was the guy with my hands in my pocket just li- looking at the words. And for me, okay, for me, what God put in my spirit and the question he asked me was, listen, if you want to be quiet before me, that's fine. As long as you're doing it to praise me, not looking for praise from other people. So in the same way, some people jump up and down and we think that they're trying to get attention is the same heart behind the other people who stand here like this, who want to jump up and down, but are afraid if they express themselves in worship, they'll be judged by other people. And so you can be quiet before God as long as it's for his glory, for his praise, not because you're worried about what everybody else thinks. So if that's you, that's fine. But don't let a feeling or an emotion or an Enneagram type limit how you express your love to God. Are you tracking with me? So, so love, here's the last, it grows. Let me ask you this. <laughs> Do you love your spouse more, the same or less than you did when you first said, I do. Don't answer that out loud. I pray that it's more. Now, I'm not saying you may like them more, okay? But, but your love for them will grow over time. Why? Because you spent time with them. You've been intimate with them. You've spent time with them. You love them. They love you. You serve them. They serve you. And sometimes the reason some people look so close to God is because they've actually spent time with him. And so your love grows. God doesn't expect you to just start out with this big open heart. What God does, he said, I'll take your heart of stone. I'll give you a new heart of flesh. And over time, as we develop this relationship, your love for me will grow. So what is worship? I'm going to say it again. Worship is our love expressed to God as a response to his love expressed to us. And what I want to do is I want to take a look at a story now of what I believe to be one of the most beautiful, pure hearts of, of worship that we see in, in the New Testament. And, and Pastor Steve actually touched on this passage when he preached on in dangerous prayers about God break my heart. And I want to I revisit it. It's in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 6. If you're ready, say yeah. If you need a minute, say hold up. Okay, we're good. All right. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very cheap perfume. Of on sale perfume. What does it say? With a what? Expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Here's the question. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to him, why are you bothering this woman? I I love when he answers why with why. Because when my little son, he'd be asking me why all the time. What I do now is I'm like, why are you asking why? And he's just, he looks at, he don't know what to say. So why this waste? Jesus says, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. They asked this question, why this waste? 
You'll never understand why someone does something until you know what they've been through or what they're going through now. Why is she pouring out the perfume? Why are you being wasteful? And so before you go and you judge somebody for lifting their hands in worship, for jumping up and down on a stage, for clapping, before you go and judge somebody for standing there quietly, before you do all of that, just understand, you don't know what they've been through and what they're going through now. Why this waste? They said, they, see, they didn't, they didn't know what, what the purpose was. They didn't get it. They themselves were asking the question, why? That's why they asked why. Why would she do that? And, and who does this woman think she is? Who is this woman? See, Matthew doesn't give her a name. But John, John tells us who she is. So let's, let's, let's flip over to John in, in chapter 12. And now it opens, it opens with this statement. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, who Jesus raised from the dead. Let me pause. See, in chapter 11, what, what, what precedes chapter 11 is chapter 12. We're, we're deep here, okay? Um, what happens in chapter 11 was that there was a man named Lazarus and he was sick. And Mary and, and Martha, they send word out to Jesus and says, hey, your friend, the one you love, he's sick. Hurry, come quick and heal him. And do you know what Jesus does? He waits. He waits another couple days. And they're like, if you don't go now, he's going to die. And then Jesus lets them know through his spirit. He says, Lazarus, he's, he, he's asleep. He's dead. Like, why would you let this happen? He said, you know what? Word for word. I'm glad it happened. They're like, what do you mean you're glad it happened? What do you mean you're glad he did? He said, I'm glad it happened because now I'm going to show you why you need to believe. Let me read verse two. Here at dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. What happened? Jesus shows up to the town of Bethany and Lazarus had been dead for four days. Martha runs out to Jesus and is like, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, he's not dead. He's going to rise again. And she said, I know he's going to rise again on the last day, but he's dead now. And he said, no, 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 you don't get it. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will never die. And so Martha, what happens? They run home, they get Mary. Mary's not there yet. Mary runs out and she says, Jesus, if you would have been here. And do you know what Jesus did at that moment? Even though he knew what was about to happen, when he saw how hurt and how, how, how much of a hard time Mary was having with the death of her brother, he wept. He what? And then what does he do? It says he was moved with compassion because of her love for Lazarus. And he raised Lazarus from the grave and resurrected. Verse three, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It was Mary. See, 
Be careful to judge somebody's chapter 12 when you don't know chapter 11. What they didn't know, they didn't know what Mary had been through. That they didn't really think about the fact of like, why, why this waste? Why would she pour out the perfume? They didn't know. They didn't realize that what she was doing in that moment was the fact that she got it. It was the first time Mary then goes, her eyes are open. She brings her gift and she, she gets in there before Jesus and she pours out all her perfume. Why? What does a perfume represent? It represents her past and, and everything she had done before then, how, how she made her money. It represented the security in her present of how she would continue to make a living. It represented her future security and knowing that she could continue to sell this perfume. And so when Mary comes in and she pours out this praise on Jesus, she pours it out. She is letting Jesus know that you are worthy of all my praise. You're worthy of my life. And the disciples go, why this waste? See, here's the thing. What they called waste, she called worship. What they called waste, she called worship. There's going to be some people in your life, good people, loving people, Christian people, who will think your worship is waste. Why you waste your time going to church? Why you waste your time singing don't you know what you're going through? Don't you know that you need that money? Why would you tithe? That's a waste. Why would you offer a gift? That, that's a waste. Why would you use your gifts and serve? That's a waste. And see, even for some of us, when we start hearing those things, we start to question why. We start to go, you know, I know you feel like it's a waste of your time. I know there's moments in your life you feel like it's a waste of energy. I know there's moments in your life where you feel like following God is a, it's a waste of purpose. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of everything. But let me just say this to you. Don't let why steal your worship. Oh, y'all are too quiet on that. Don't let why steal your worship. Don't let the fact that you don't understand what's going on rob you of giving God the glory he deserves. He's still worthy. If he doesn't do another thing, he's already done enough. He's already done enough. We worship him for who he is first and foremost, but then we worship him out of love that he has given us. We express it back to him. So don't let why you don't understand something, why you went through something in chapter 11, why you had to have that happen to you. Don't let that rob your worship because if it ain't good, God ain't done. What your worship does is it let everybody else know that even, even though you got circumstances, they don't understand they call waste. God is still worthy of my worship. So don't let why still your worship. Then verse four, I want to I point this out because the disciples asked the question in Matthew, but then there's a guy that asked it in verse, uh, in John chapter, uh, or John chapter 12, verse four, he says, but one of his disciples, who? Judas Iscariot who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold at the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Why would you waste it? What an insult to Jesus. See, he says it's worth a year's wages. Why would you, why would you pour it out? That don't make any sense, Mary. And Mary says, because he is worth so much more to me than a year's wages. He's worth so much more. 
And see, the thing that Mary knew that they didn't understand, she had a wisdom of worship. She knew what, who he really was. She knew he was the Messiah. She knew he was the resurrection and the life. She knew where he was headed. So she pours out her perfume, pours out her praise in worship to God. And they're going, why waste it? Why? Listen, because Jesus is still worthy. He's worthy of everything I have. See, they prided themselves on tithing 10%. They prided themselves in ceremonial cleanliness. But she says, no, 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 I'm gonna pour it all out. And, and the thing that she knew is the thing that we need to know. Whatever you're not willing to let go of is what you worship. What did Judas betray Jesus for? Money. What was his problem with? That was worth a year's wages. Whatever in your life that you're holding on to, whatever you're not willing to give to God, Whatever you're not willing to let go of is what you worship. Some of us worship our jobs. Some of us worship our kids. Some of us worship the approval of people. But we all got something that we don't want to let go of, that we feel like it's, we got to have it. And we ask the question, well, is it, is it wasteful? And so she pours it out. I'm going to end right here. I want to jump back to, to Matthew here's what Jesus says in verse 13. Wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman did will be told. See, she poured out her life because she knew who he was. She was emptying herself. She was saying, I am yours. You are mine. I don't have anything else. I'm not trusting in anything else. I don't need anything else. You've already done enough because of who you are. Mind the fact he hadn't even went to the cross yet. But she had a wisdom in worship. She knew why when they didn't. She didn't let the why steal her worship. And so what they called waste, she called worship. And her worship was her witness. Your worship is your witness. Your worship is your witness. See, right now, there's this spirit of grace in the room. There's this spirit of God in the room, the spirit of truth in the room. Because she poured it out. Because she let her worship be her witness. The way she lived be her witness. Can you imagine one day? I can. Uh, 10 years from now when my oldest son is 12, my youngest son is 10, if we have any more, whatever age they are, not trying right now. Anyway, I can imagine because there were some people who didn't just come in and honor God with their lips, but worship him with their life. I can imagine him sitting right here, trying to not fall asleep during dad's message, but praising God because you made a way and I made a way to let them know that this ain't pretend, this isn't a game. It's not just what we say, it's how we live. Can you imagine what generations would look like if Christians actually worshiped him Monday through Saturday? How different our world would be. Worship is more than a song. It's our love expressed to God as a response to his love expressed to us. And so right now, I just want to give you the opportunity for some of you, what this may look like this week, 
it, it may look like um, you serving with what God's given you, the gifts he's given you in the church. What it could look like for you is maybe you've, you've never tithed before. You've never given your first tenth percent. You've never given your first fruits. Maybe for you, today's the day you begin to go, God, I'm holding on to that. I'm letting go of it. It's not gonna be my master anymore. I'm gonna trust you with that. For others of you, it's going home and being intentional about the time you spend with your family. That's worship. For others of you, it's when we sing this song again. It's not just, I'm gonna go through the motions. I'm gonna declare holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that he is worthy of my praise, that he's worthy of your worship. And for others of you, you've never made the decision to give him your life. See, she poured out what they were holding on to. She gave them their life. They're trying to save their life. And so for some of you, you, today is the day that you say, Jesus, I'm gonna worship you. I'm giving you myself. Because worship is the only thing you can give God. We pray with me? Father, thank you for today. I thank you for who you are first and foremost. And I thank you for all you've done. And if you don't do another thing, God, we are, we, we are still declaring you're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. God, we are still saying that you sit on the throne. No matter if we understand it, God, we're not going to let anything steal our worship. God, thank you for loving us. So God, today, I pray that we would worship you with our lives. We would express our love for you. And in the next few moments, God, may we not leave this place without pouring out our praise, pouring out everything we have, pouring out our heart, giving you our life and saying, God, I'm not holding on to anything else. I don't care what it's worth because you are worth so much more. So right now, I wanna pray for those of you who today are gonna make a decision to worship God. You're gonna make a decision today to say, God, here's my life. Take it, it's yours. And you can pray this with me, either out loud or in your spirit. The prayer isn't what saves you. Jesus is what saves you. Prayer is just our way of aligning our hearts with God's heart, saying, God, my heart is yours. Thank you for loving me. So today, if you wanna pray that prayer, you can pray that with me and say, God, I love you. Today, I worship you. I give you my life. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose from the grave so that I can be forgiven and free. Today, I worship you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, put your hands together for all of those who made that decision today. Hey, we all... Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I hope it encouraged you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. Send an email to info at renovation.church. And if you would like to partner with us financially and help us reach people with the message of Jesus, you can do so at renovation.church slash give. Have a great day.